Hello, and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition Remix. I'm your host, one-third of the Kickers of Elves, Hugh Crawford. You can find me on Instagram at hubot underscore Crawford. Today, we are going to be listening to Paradise, which was originally released October 3rd, 2016. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. Stick around after to hear uh, some notes and updated information. All right. Thanks. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Oh yeah, some men you just can't reach so you get what we had here last week. Oh yeah, which is the way he wants it well he gets it. Oh yeah, it's time for Cool Hands Cisco. he's a natural born world shaker. Hello and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition podcast where we will be talking about every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the greatest television show that basically has moved up one step from space hippies, and now they're still space hippies, but they're not in hippie garb, I guess. I don't know. Is that accurate enough? This episode is definitely about crazy space cults, I think. Yeah, yeah, space cults. It's Yeah. It's about space Amish. The space Amish. <laughs> Luddites? Space Luddites? We'll, we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, yeah, yeah, whatever my rambling was, th- this is the rules of acquisition. I am Wade Bowen. With me, as always, is James Nolan. Hello. And Hugh Crawford. Hey, gentlemen. And uh, I already said my name, changing it up a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, let's just get into it. We're talking about, what is this, like the 15th episode of season two? Yep, we're on season two, episode 15. The name of this episode is Paradise. It originally aired February 13th, 1994. The IMDb description is as follows. Cisco and Chief O'Brien discover a colony which lives without technology. That's it. It's just one sentence. <laughs> and that pretty much sums up what, what's, what's going on here. All right, guys. Uh, the starts off with uh, O'Brien and Cisco in a runabout. And quickly, do you guys know which runabout is up there? Is it the Rio Grande? What is what is the one that... This is the Rio Grande, right? I think it's, I think the, it's Rio the Rio Grande. But I think they're chilling in the Rio Grande, and they're talking about uh, Jake needing to bone up on his uh, Starfleet stuff. Oh, yeah. He's a, C, he's a C-minus student, basically. Right. He's a, when it comes to in, like working with your hands, uh, yeah. a kid who grew up in space is really bad with his hands. So go figure, mm-hmm. right? Or his standardized testing. He's in the lower third tack. Yes. And that's when we find out. Oh wow! I guess that ties into the overarching philosophy of the of the society. What do you mean? Uh, is that pe- people have lost the ability to work with their hands, and so they don't have aptitude? Well, that's what I was. Yeah, that's I didn't... what I thought. Oh, I didn't even put that together. That that's how I took it. Whenever he said, you know, he's not very good with his hands and working, you know, and I was like, well, nothing moves. There's no working parts. Oh, yeah. You just hit a glow stick on on a on a panel, and that's how you fix stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, I just got excited about the O'Brien backstory info we got with that whole talk because yes, he's like, oh, yes. I was a bad student too. I I can I didn't know shit about engineering until I was like in the shit. Yes, and, it's and just, had ten minutes to get out and had to put together a transporter. Yeah, in ten minutes. And that's my favorite. Right. And then Cisco rolls his eyes and goes, "Oh, oh, do tell me. Remind me again. What were you? Oh, you were in the shit, huh? Oh, okay. Yeah. Another excuse to talk about being in the shit. Always talking about being in the shit. Yeah. Ten minutes to get out before the Cardies came and got everybody. 
card. And he saved the whole platoon in nine minutes and 53 seconds. He had to MacGyver some shit together and he, and he got out and was like, oh, that's, that's, yeah. And it also sets up for this episode that O'Brien is a Jason Bourne badass. Right. Yes, he does. He does some, uh, he jumps some sort of like, you get, you get to see a little bit of O'Brien action. He pulls a Rambo. He does, he gets first blood. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, it is. And then he made it up to, then he was the tactical officer on the Rutledge after they found out he was really good with his hands. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a weird way to shoehorn in O'Brien's career path, but they did it (laughs) nevertheless. Yeah. It continues season two being an O'Brien heavy season. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah. That and sort of a, and sort of a retcon of his uh, past because, you know, I don't think you ever got that. What past? Well, I think that you, well, that he, he wasn't just the guy on the Enterprise, you know, that he, he was, uh, we've recently got that he was in the shit. That he recently got that how he was sort of promoted up. Yeah, yeah. So you get a little bit of change of that. And it is actually a retcon because he says, that's when I got my yellow suit. Oh, yeah. But uh, at the beginning of Enterprise, he is wearing a red suit through the first season. Oh, he was a red suit? Yeah. So, well, continuity error. Yeah, that's right. Because engineering is usually, in used to be a red Wait, mm-hmm. in the original series, red suit shirts, like, yeah. Scotty wore a red shirt all the but time. But yellow... So that was engineer. Yeah, but they changed that from the first to second Star Trek. Right. And then he, and when he was in the transport room, he was a red shirt? Yeah, yes. In the first season. Then they moved him to uh, a yellow shirt later. They'll have to fix it all in Crisis of Infinite Enterprises. They'll fix all of this <laughs> right. then, so... Right, that, is that what's... Yeah, that's in the new... Uh, <laughs> What universe is that going to erase it's, the Kelvin? Uh, it's Star, or the, Star Trek, uh, Stretch Trek Rebirth, I think. Uh, okay, he could he could wear more than one shirt. He could have gotten a red shirt for a little bit in the Enterprise and had when he was on the Rutledge, he had a yellow shirt. I guess. Yeah, I'm sure it was laundry day in that episode of <laughs> Next Generation, and that's why you see him in red. Easy, right. yes, fix, fix. Boom. And he does talk about being at war with the Cardis. Maybe he called them spoonheads or another slur or just Cardassians mm-hmm. in the next generation. Yeah. I think I, we talked about in the past about how Ensign Rowe comes up. Yeah, maybe. Okay, so they, yeah. I think you're right there. But yeah, they do retcon a little bit that he, I mean, they do kind of think, they mentioned that he was in the Cardassian front, but also he's just a boring guy mm-hmm. pushing a transporter buttons for like five, six years yes. of next yes, generation. All right. So, like, we haven't really talked about it. Like, do we like this episode? Oh, I like this. It's just it's an episode. I, I, I like. Oh, man. <laughs> I, uh... I, I, I like this episode. <laughs> okay. It's an episode about ideas, at least. And I, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, some ways I'll talk about later. It's an archetypical, it's a certain kind of Star Trek story exactly, that yeah. they tell over and over again. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So what about you? Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I feel like this is a, there's a couple traditions going on here. Uh, one, it's, you know, you land on a planet and it's these people have a way of life. And who are you, Federation people, to tell us how we live is wrong? It's one. It's that episode. But it's also a captain episode, and I know, um, or commander episode. Good grief! I can't believe I still have to <laughs> do that. Correct myself. I know. When are they just going to make him a captain already? Right. Right. This is in the tradition of captains showing their resolve and having their metal tested. Yeah, I was going to talk about that later. They have a certain way of doing it. Uh, this is like Picard's How Many Lights. Yeah, they're all full lights. Right. This is Cisco's lights episode, <laughs> except it's his uniform instead of the lights. Mm-hmm. So. Right, right. And then when they first land on, before the first credits break, they land and 
they get an arrow pointed at, and like oh, and at, for a second the first time I was watching this I was like oh shit are they doing a fucking Robin Hood episode that's exactly what I thought oh man I have to say I kind of loved this I kind of loved this episode I think I did too um, up until I mean I think it's flawed I think it has a like one it's a, mm-hmm. a couple of key flaws but I largely I, I scene by scene was pretty riveted by it. I liked it a lot too. Yeah, and the, the, you know, yeah, I, part of what we do is we talk about what we want to fix, and there's I have issues. Yeah, the, the, it's definitely it's not perfect at all, and it's got one I think glaring flaw that we'll talk about. I'll talk about later. No, I think that once he gets down there and she's sort of portraying her sort of vision and philosophy, and you learn more about the village. Well, let's talk about she. You're talking about the character named uh, what's what's the character's name again? Alioop. <laughs> Alexis. <laughs> Alexis. Not Alexis, Alexis. but Alexis, Alexis with an I-L. She, and she is the leader of this community that has decided to live without any sort of technological yeah. uh, comforts or advances, right. even if people get sick. Lady Kaczynski is what I wrote her down as. <laughs> oh, like a Ted Kaczynski. Type. Yeah, she was great. She's played by Gail Strickland, and it's a pretty great acting performance. Wasn't she in another Deep Space Nine episode? Uh, was she? Was she? Wasn't she the actress that... Was she in the Oatmeal Face people or something? So I think she was... Wasn't she Oatmeal Face Lady? Yeah. Oh, like... Spit, spit roast? I, yeah, okay. You, re- I remembered oatmeal face. You remember spit roast? Okay. Uh, oh, spit roast. <laughs> uh, I don't know if she is, but I, she kind of looks like. You know what? On IMDb, she's only she's only on here once for Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. I don't think that she was okay. spit roast. Uh, yeah, it would have been uh, weird. No. So. <laughs> I'm gonna call her oatmeal face. I, l- I would love it if they used the same actors to play every one of these weird uh, sort of luddite throwback alien yeah. you know races that you find i was gonna say that would be a weird thing to have her play the luddite and every <laughs> time they come up yeah so she's got a, like okay, an, interesting, an interesting choice it's actually like a real sort of philosophy it actually rose up we, we've said luddite a couple of times but the luddites were a thing a reaction to industrial society and one would think that if humanity leaped forward the way we're told in star trek that it did after first contact you would immediately think that there would be some sort of large overarching resistance to someone who found modernity empty, the new modernity. Right, yeah. And so it was good to see someone sort of portray that in an emotion. And I almost, as much as I love the episode because it has that idea, I almost wish it, it, it was an idea and a concept worthy of more than just this episode. And specifically how they did this episode. Yeah, I agree. I really like the ideas that they were dealing with, but some of the handling of yeah. them were, well, okay. Well, it's just too but... short shrift. But I mean, I think that also I think that yeah. well, in general they were too focused on the cult aspect. Yeah, the cult thing too. Yeah, yeah Michael Pillar, I guess. Michael Pillar had something? Yeah, well, he said he, he requested that this story be written. He has a family member in a cult. He didn't elaborate. Wait, he he had been in he a cult? He has a family member or had a family member in a cult. Oh, family. I guess he's no longer with us. So, uh, yeah. Right. And so that, I don't know. So he wanted this story written to sort of relieve some sort of anguish he has for that. Okay, so he was coming at it from more of the cult angle. Yes. And, and the dangerous the cult. writers kind of rode around. Yeah, the writers kind of stumbled into giving them a real motive that was actually kind of intriguing. And, and the problem is it's stuck saddled with this sort of evil cult thing that it's got to sort of play with. Yeah, so we'll get into that more when we talk about what we want to fix. But I agree with you. But I mean, I was I would totally, I totally buy that in this society where you push a button and your food is materialized from nothing, that you do live in these completely fake worlds. The only fun you have is 
on a fake room. You know, my son struck me out with a curveball, but not really. You know, it's all fake. Right. And, right. And so, yeah. And that would ultimately. Though the curveball is fake because nobody plays baseball anymore. <laughs> but when they do land, uh, what's the kid's name? I I wanted to call him Lord Humongous oh, or whatever. Her sexy ass son. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or he was, uh, what's his, I have a little brother and he was perfect in <laughs> <Yeah>. every way. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that guy yes, uh, is. Mort- it Vinod? Uh, is it Vinod? Vinod? Yeah, yeah, yeah something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. I- Morton Joe's old, better son. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, he's only slightly irradiated yeah. and messed up. I mean, yeah, I mean, O'Brien still beat the shit out of but, him. But no, this kid was handsome as fuck in yeah. an Italian svelte way. But anyways, I, my point was nobody plays baseball, but they want to know about the soccer matches the soccer, because yeah. soccer is still a thing in right. the 24th century. They're like, is what's his name still playing? And I guess you can have a pretty long career because they crashed 10 years ago and they're asking about, is this guy still playing? It's like, well, you can play for a long time now even, but yeah. if they talk about him like he's the Pele <laughs> if he was that 10 years ago. He's 40 years, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, But then again, it's the 24th century. I bet people do have really long sports careers because they live these amazing medical technology lives where they live like till yeah they have total knee replacements that can still play on it so that yeah right right dr mccoy was like 300 or however old in the that's true premiere of next generation that was the thing is i actually wanted the episode to like these people more because I did. Yeah, yeah. Like, part of me didn't understand Cisco. I think the Cisco that I know up until this episode would have probably been a little bit more intrigued by these people. Right. Than immediately just have his guard up. Well, I think that... Well, I I think he's he sniffs out, like, what's going... You know, they're like, hey, we need to figure our thing out. And this, this woman comes up immediately and starts shutting them down. Yeah. She gets pretty, like, weird pretty quickly. Oh, I agree. Right off the bat. You immediately know that she's the one that's put up this duonetic field. I agree. There's not like five seconds before she's introduced where you get, you point at her and say, okay, she's the one that did everything. <laughs> that's why they can't use any weapons. My nine-year-old son said she's the bad guy. And I go, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, see, Cisco's a political animal, and I think that he can get into a, dropped into a situation, able to take a, the temperature pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and suss out, you know, the angles and whatnot. And I think like Wade said, I, she was she was pretty weird from the get go. Yeah, and I think that's why if she played it just a little cooler, she probably could have had him had him where she wanted him a little bit easier. Yeah, she overplayed her hands, especially when she had that woman try to seduce. Yeah, him. yeah. We yes. can go ahead and skip to that. <laughs> oh, I thought that I love that scene though. Yeah, yeah. You know, they go to the planet. There's no technology there, and they find out. Well, we're just gonna, we're roundabout in orbit. Somebody will see it eventually. Right. But in the meantime, you guys got to go work the fields. Right. At first, they're like, "Oh, well, we'll have somebody rescue us." Well, each of us has to think about if we want to leave, and we each get to make our own choices. Except, no, we don't because I'm a cult leader, and everybody has to do us. Yeah. Because we can. Go back to community that got left behind centuries ago when humanity's like, ah, you're wrong, lady. Centuries ago, people did not get along any better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they, I mean, but. you can make like, I guess a similar story would be like, you know, a couple is driving and the car breaks down and they run into some hippies. The hippies are in a commune and they, they're willing to call the mechanic, but he can't be here until next Tuesday. And they're willing to put you up and give you food, but you have to work with the hippies. And then that, I mean, so it's sort of a, like, that's a plot line that you like maybe you know that that's reminiscent of a lot of plot lines i've seen yeah yeah nothing direct and they're on board with it they're like yeah we'll work for our food yeah yeah and so like that okay but there was something a little unsettling 
about a woman in power telling a black man to go work the fields. <laughs> that was a little bit. That was a little <laughs> bit. You're you're probably not wrong there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a that was weird. That was a little weird. And commenting about how he's gonna sweat a lot. That was where I was like. Mm. What? Like, yeah. And then we get when they're in the fields working, we we get more of Cisco talking about his dad, who at this point in the writer's room is still dead. I'm pretty sure. Yes. <laughs> this is a retcon that happens within the show. Yeah, yeah. His father was a chef, and you know what? You can still fix that. You say they're uh, spoilers. His dad shows up in the show and is pretty great. Yeah, yeah. It's a great character. But you know, you can say, oh, we were just estranged. That's why I referred to my dad in the past tense for a while. But they also talk about all Cisco's brothers being forced to work in the field and grow crops because his dad. Oh wait, wait, wait! Is that problematic later on because of Cisco's lineage? Do we ever meet any Cisco's brothers? Well, Cisco has a unique lineage too. Remember? Oh, well, let's not get into that. Yes, yeah, but that—that's something. But we can definitely, as a podcast, put a pin in that, right? I think, yeah, we definitely could put a pin in it. I think we can just say it's another crisis on Infinite Enterprises. Sure, sure. (laughs) But I'm just saying, I'm not spoiling anything to say we meet his dad. Mm -hmm. We never really meet his brothers. No. And they deal with his dad like he's an only child, it feels like. Yeah. And if there were issues with brothers, that would have been brought up, I think. In, in later on. Yeah. I'm willing to say those things. Okay, so we could put a pin on that. So, yes. Yeah, that, that's all I wanted to say. I don't want to say anymore. I do like how the story was guided by steps or beats. And I do like that. I, I, I really kind of love this episode. And I think that it was like a, was for the most part, pretty good on the page. Each scene was about her using a, and this is maybe Michael Pillar's knowledge of cults, but each stage was a step towards trying to integrate them further. Right. Pitting mm-hmm. the two, pitting the engineer who plays every principal in every movie you've ever seen. Oh, Jopa or whatever his jo- name is. Yeah, yeah, Joseph, I think it was his oh, name. Oh, okay. but, but played by Steve Vinovich, who I'm pretty sure is the go-to principal for every kid's show now. I think he was in Malcolm in the Middle, and I'm sure he was a principal in uh, some other show. Huh, okay. But you... Uh, marry him to O'Brien and make a sort of a kinship with them and then because <laughs> they look similar they look, they, they, anyway Irish type guys <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like, oh, and they're both engineers yeah and then and then you pit Cisco with with her but each stage is about moving them one step further taking them out of the uniform was a big thing yeah trying to get him some some poontang was another <laughs> and like all of these sort of things that cults do to integrate mm, people mm-hmm. whose car breaks down on the side of the road into their cult. So, like... Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, the cult thing is obviously there. Mm-hmm. I kind of got hung up on the ideas, the other ideas, and, like, how those weren't implemented well. But, like... Exactly, exactly. But the cult, yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's totally all the mm-hmm. things that cults do is there, yeah. Yeah, so that's sort of... I did like that about it, how it moved through that. And then by the end, it just becomes Cool Hand Luke. <laughs> yeah. Where it's just a man who's gone to absolutely resist all breaking right you know and i i even feel like they probably felt like they could have pushed that further but this you know putting him in the sweat box and and right and i I got i got some stuff on what i would change (laughs) i put her in some mirrored sunglasses teed up for that but yeah so you never see your eyes yeah (laughs) (laughs) she's the devil man you know i think one of the things about this episode that we don't get to see enough of and it makes me feel kind of jones for what what's coming up we don't usually get to see Cisco go up against a worthy adversary one on one. Yes, or at least we haven't in a while. So that was that was a, one of the satisfying things about this particular episode. I has he specifically gone up against a worthy worthy adversary? 
I mean, you see it in snippets sometimes. It with I mean, we've had a little bit of Gold Dukat. Yeah. And we had Kai, and then we had the evil Kai, uh, Kai Ratchet. Right, right. So I mean, I mean, we've had a, we've had it here and there. A little bit here and there. A little bit. Like that speech he gives. You you think you can come up here and and take your small community can blah 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 that at the end of season one. Right. But I feel like this one is kind of condensed into because it's Ratchet against everything in the station yeah. they're in a smaller space here where it's specifically it's kind of condensed into just cisco you know like in the at the end of season one he's basically speaking for the federation he's a mouthpiece for the great ideas and this one you really see he's also about the ideas of the federation that he's standing up for and you know what he's about but it's also just we're getting to cisco now like a question i had about would we see Picard or Janeway do the things at Cisco? I was actually just fixing but this. Before we get there, do we want to talk about the oh man the seduction scene because that was a pretty great scene too. <laughs> yeah, let's do seduction first, and then because I, I think we'll that my favorite line of this my favorite line of this whole episode when uh, Cassandra comes in <laughs> and it's like oh I've got the zoop the tree oil and then just just the Cisco oh man they're just laying it out. To, did she send you here to make love to me? <laughs> make, make love to yeah. Me. <laughs> that was not, that's not smooth on the page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, was, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I agree with you. It wasn't smooth on the page, but it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. Did she send you here to make love to me? Talk about your goofy Cisco, like the guy that I, like, oh, boy, but man, those are the kind of lines that I love hearing come out of Avery Brooks' mouth. Yeah, you, 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 I can't, me talking, me giving that line i cannot give an accurate reading of what avery brooks is doing that it takes an avery brooks to say that line <laughs> yeah and then she he runs into um Alexis's room and he's like you sent her there to for, you thought you could procure or whatever you know uh-huh. send a whore for me and then she's like that's the first core behavior that you've expressed i felt like that was a thing about her cult philosophies that we didn't quite get a full thing of because this core behavior like She's almost turned on by him when he runs in Okay, can we talk about that? Because I I don't know about, like, the sexual tension in the first scene, but the sexual tension in the next scene is fucking weird. Because he walks in, and he's, like, under shadow, and he's, like... When he comes in and and breaks after the woman, after Cassandra tried to fuck him... Mm He goes in there and confronts Alexis. She's she's like, oh, my God, that's the first core behavior that you've expressed. Exactly. And then he's like, I think you're contemptible. And he is. I mean, they specifically shoot him. And I'm just going to say it dark and imposing. Okay. They specifically light him and shoot him that way. Yeah. He is in a woman's bedroom office after hours. So everything about it is is sort of signifying to something. And he even like goes in and he like by touching her book and closing her book and then coming around her desk. All of that is like violation blocking. And I just felt like that that scene was a much more, I don't know if it was sexually charged or, or playing with fire in that regard, but it seemed that way. And you're right. It definitely yeah, took me it, too. Right. Like, yeah, there was like, he was like, Especially on his part, he's, he's pissed off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got more anger than anything. But she was she was aroused. She was like, "Whoa!" You got more anger than rapey from him because I, I felt like yeah, it, I did. I got more anger than yeah. I didn't get that. I I think that he. Was I want to clarify my point. I don't think that they were making you think that Cisco might rape her. Literally, no. Yeah, I felt like they were filming it in a way that played. See, with I it. didn't see. I didn't get any of that from him. I got him just. He's pissed off. He's mm-hmm. he's got right. I think 
think they're trying to yeah. show him in a dark mood. Okay. Yeah, he's okay. full of righteous anger in that moment. Right. Nothing. But she, on the other hand, you know, she's also like kind of she's got her own kind of she's fucked up yes. personalities. Like she's like, Oh, this is what I'm about and blah blah blah. And she's kind of like likes the challenge or likes that she likes that he's being combative with mm-hmm. her. And and, and she seems it's probably some weird, like, Ayn Rand, uh, Fountainhead, fucked up sexuality on her part. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. No, I believe that there was a sexual dynamic to that scene. Yeah. Okay. See, I wasn't picking up on that, but that might just be because <laughs> I'm ignorant. I don't know. But again, I didn't see it from him. I saw her being turned on and him being just... Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I think that I felt like it was film... film yeah. they def- And I feel like they had to know that there was this charge to that scene. Yeah. And then he talks about the replicated pads and you've got a lot of books you wrote here on paper and yeah yeah she's got a whole bookshelves of unabomber manifestos that she's written so i called her alexis Kazin- lady kaczynski and i guess the big reveal that you're supposed to take away from that scene is that she didn't develop this philosophy as a survival mechanism on the planet right right right. but that she had this survival mechanism she had this philosophy pre-crash which is what sort of creates the suspicion that she crashed them so which is true <laughs> right but, yeah, which none of, nobody's ever surprised at, I don't believe. Yeah, but, yeah, that's the most unshocking reveal ever. Right, but you still need to set it up, you know, that she did, or otherwise it's just like, what? You know, yeah, yeah. You gotta plant those seeds. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, at this point, like, most of the stuff I want to talk about is kind of like what I want to change oh no 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 no. we were gonna do the picard are these decisions that oh yeah yeah well and they talk about religion too which is interesting in the ds9 context because she's all about this going back to basics and going back to our core selves from centuries ago when community was so important which is crazy because you've got a culturally diverse and racially mixed community here on this planet which we did not have centuries ago i'm sorry lady Mm -hmm. you did a good thing in that respect that people get along but Well, but, and maybe this is where I want to, I think her point, they're not speaking to it very clearly, but it's this idea of, I don't know, personal, like it's a pretty common philosophy, usually among like sort of conservative people, like not just American conservatives, but world conservatives, of this idea that work is uh, edifying into itself. And so if you put in a... Oh, it's like the Protestant ideal kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that work ethic, you, you know, the virtue is found in a hard day's work. Right. And then she tied that in with, you know, people used to take care of each other. And now we all live isolated in little booths watching, you know, watching TV and eating our chips. We don't ever talk to each other. We just play video games. You know, right, it's right. A, you know, so it's a common sort of thing. You know, back in my day, we used when we won the war, we used to we all went out and worked in rivets, like riveted airplanes. And the boys went and fought the war and came back and, took you know, and everybody knew each other. And I could name everybody who lived on the street, you know, that's sort of America that's not here anymore. Right. And I think that that's some of what she's talking about with community. Not so much the diversity aspect, but just the idea that right. technology is isolated. Yeah, us. yeah. She, yeah, right. Yeah, by this point in the 24th century, diversity is a non-issue. That's just like, yeah, we're human. Yeah. Who cares about that other stuff? That's like nobody even recognizes that. So if you're looking back from that point of view, yeah, whatever. The religion thing I thought was interesting from a DS9 point of view. Yeah. Eventually, Cisco figures out her game so well that he even says, "The next step." Then I bet you, if eventually, you're gonna feel the hand of God on. Like he like calls it. Like I know right, what you're right. doing here. You're controlling these people, and I bet you, eventually, you're gonna feel the hand of God. Even and she like basically acknowledges, "Yeah, 
I'm sure there's a connection between how I feel and some sort of divine inspiration. Right, which is interesting because I've talked in the past about, you know, like we talked about religion and how Cisco respects religion, or I thought he did at the end of (laughs) season one. Mm -hmm. And then we have this one where he's like, oh, it's very convenient that you just happen to land on this planet. It's almost like fate. And she's like, yes. It is. Maybe we can go back to flying something in these ancient texts about, you know, but it's all predicated on a lie because he knows that she knew this planet was here. So all this talk about fate and maybe God intervened and her even, you know, throwing out this premise that maybe we can find something in this religion because fate brought us here. It's kind of cynical because it's also like, oh, yeah, maybe the gods did intervene or something, but she was behind it the whole time. So it kind of brings out this kind of old idea that maybe all religion is predicated on a lie by some individual who can know how to... So that's my, that things. was my thing earlier, that he just approached the whole situation with a little bit more skepticism than I thought was warranted at that time. Mm-hmm. Later on, obviously, he should have been more skeptical. But I didn't get that. I thought he took the temperature of the room pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Like upon, upon arriving, I... I really think that he, just in some of the looks and eyebrow raises whenever they're talking about their life there and he's pressing for questions, he right off the bat, he wants to solve the problem. And the fact that he got so much pushback right off the bat about solving the problem certainly sent off some alarms in his head. Right. If I figured out that Alexis was the bad guy so quickly, I'm glad that it didn't take him a whole episode to figure it out himself. Too. That's true. And I think that is a problem on the page, too, that she was such a sort of a mustache twirler early on. Yeah. That... I don't think let's go back to what you like we had talked about would have would Picard or would Janeway have made these decisions. And I just think that Picard, I think, would have approached it with much more wonder. And I'm specifically talking about maybe the Meg death. There's a girl that's being, that essentially is, has malaria. Oh, yeah, and yeah. she's dying from malaria. And they have the ability, like, technology could easily treat the disease, but they're going to let it die because they're... Right, because they can't find the... Yeah, because Elixis is like, no, we just have to find the right moss. Yeah. So, and then it's like... It's, well, see, that's what bothers me, too. She talks about human ingenuity. It's not a jigsaw puzzle finding cures for everything. She talks about human ingenuity being the problem. But human ingenuity is what got them into space in the first yeah, place. A, fuck, a fucking runabout like, is human ingenuity. <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't... Why? Why should it stop at at herbs? Yeah. The right herbs. It, like that yeah. was never that was never addressed. And I think maybe Picard or Janeway would have actually said that. I think Avery Brooks would have too. They just didn't write it. I know, but yeah, I don't know. I think I think he's on to something. Like he would have been like ingenuity is mm-hmm. you know doing and. Yeah. Avery Brooks is more of a martyr, I guess. Well, but I think that I like that Avery Brooks in this episode, personally, I like that he is, he approaches it pragmatically, skeptically. Oh, I love that part. Oh, I love it too. Yeah, yeah. He's just like the way I approach people who don't vaccinate their children. I'm not fascinated by them. I'm fucking irritated at it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think Picard, if he was on this planet full of these people, uh, his peers. Real quick, I just want to interject that the Rules of Acquisition podcast is a pro-vaccination podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So if you have a problem with that, don't flood our inboxes or our Twitter feed. Just turn off your podcast and find yes, something else yes. to listen to. Uh, no, no, right, I'm go a, ahead, James. If you have a problem with it, come at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we would love to pick a fight with you on this. Yeah, uh, but yeah. yeah, you're right. We No, no, we make no apologies for that. Yeah, and I think that I appreciate that about him. Yeah, she's like, we're doing everything we can. And it's like, no, you're not. What are you? Crazy. But I think that Picard would have approached them with much more of a 
fascination with why they're making these decisions. Even with watching a woman die that they could have solved. That's some cold shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He would have given them the logical reason. He's more he would have been more of a Vulcan about it and like yeah. argued with why ingenuity means not doing what they're doing. And if that dying person was a kid, forget about it. He would have been like, yeah, yeah, you know, with the kid's got no business being here anyway. <laughs> yeah. Or a husband. <laughs> or a spouse of a <laughs> yes. somebody. It would have addressed his calm demeanor by having Wesley or Riker lose their shit. They're going to let them die when we can fix them, Captain. And he would give them a little speech about they have chosen to live this way. This is their, you know, sure, they were members of the Federation once, but they have now chosen to live a different way. Like They've chosen to follow it, you know. So you can almost like... Yeah, and Janeway would have been like, but they made coffee. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't think that in Picard really did. I mean, except for this little speech about farming with his dad, he never once showed any sort of interest in their way of life. Yeah. It was just all about like, O'Brien, when are you going to figure out what the fuck's going on here? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I don't care what they said. You figure this shit out. Yeah. And so I don't know. I, I, I like that because that's more me. Cisco approached the problem more like me. Oh, I appreciate it. I'm. I'd be annoyed if he went Picard with it. But I think it's a, another way where he is against the grand vision. I think they just have different interpretations. Of the Grand Vision? Sure. Okay. Grand Vision is very grand and accommodating and diverse. So, Hugh, I know you're writing a large sort of overarching, you're working on a, a thesis that, that Cisco is better than Picard. How does this fit in? You got any points? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, listeners, that's going to happen. <laughs> um, This fits right. I think, yeah, I think for our listeners out there, we were going to dedicate a special episode to examining where Picard fits in as a captain in Starfleet in comparison to the other captains on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not talking about his character or his moral or the actor uh, character. Or the acting or anything. We're talking about, ha- you know, we're talking about Picard mm-hmm. as a captain in his capacity to do his job where he ranks. Mm-hmm. My my thesis is the case against Picard being the best captain. My feeling is that he's probably third or fourth. I'm going to tell you right now. I think that probably probably Archer's the last, is probably not the best captain out of all. <laughs> yeah, and I think anybody can make that case pretty easily. As far as somebody, oh really? Archer Archer is, is a problem. Yeah, I mean, I don't want I don't I don't want to digress yeah. too much. Yeah. But he he made a, a plea. After Earth was attacked, he made a plea to drop his mission and just go on a political boondog. <laughs> so I, I, like, I think that automatically makes him uh, the worst. I still haven't seen Enterprise. Yeah. But. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think this episode, I, I'm actually going to call it a push. I think that Cisco and Picard probably are going to be even because cisco has got this episode and Picard still has the Four Lights episode. And I haven't seen it in a while. It's been about, what, eight months or so since we watched it and discussed it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it, because it fit in the context of Cardassia and, and the politics of Deep Space Nine. But I don't... Was he close to getting broken at the end of that episode? Um, and then was safe? Yeah, no, he says to he says to her that he saw five lights. Yeah, yeah. He says to Troy. He says to Troy. So yeah. he does break and is saved. Oh, yeah. He breaks, but he won't admit to being broke. That's yeah. how he's like... Right. It's He won't... He's like, oh, I saw the light. I only saw three or five yeah, lights. I saw five lights. But yeah. I'm... I'm not gonna tell that asshole I saw anything but four lines. Yeah, so maybe I don't know. I'm calling it a tie. Which I don't know. That was a great ending because Cisco's got this episode and Picard's got the lights episode where his medal is, is tested, and they both I think you know they both of course pass. Mm-hmm. It's really impossible yeah. to say what Picard or Janeway or anybody would do in this situation because you know it's Star Trek afternoon syndicated TV show. They're not gonna have they're not going to have the captain's break to the space Amish, no matter who it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I, I see where you're coming from. 
postulating <laughs> what he might do in that situation. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. I mean, I'm, I'm extrapolating. It just seems to me that... I think we were, he would have just rationalized with them more instead of just, I'm going to get in the box. No, I feel like Picard would have like, you're going to put me in the box and I'll do it, but I'm not going to... I don't see Picard offering to get in the box himself. Or would he? Do you think he would? The second time, he's like, all right, no, nope. I'm just going to do it myself and put myself in the box. Uh, yeah, I can't I can't really see that, but, but maybe. Who knows? <laughs> he would have been like, no, you don't under... He would have given a big speech right. to rationalize with them why they were wrong. Yeah, it was almost like Cisco knew instinctively that he just had to break them. Mm-hmm. Or to show that he wasn't broke. Well, let's get... And that was how you Can we went. get into what we would change? Because I think we're getting into t- t- some conversational territory where... I want to talk about... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But- I had one quick Angry Nerd Corner thing. Yeah, oh yeah, let's definitely go to... But that, that's it. Do the Angry Nerd Corner music. Do we have that yet? Where we can just stick Angry Nerd Corner song in and then we have Way Talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we, need, we yeah. need an Angry Nerd Corner song. Yeah, well, when we jump back to Deep Space Nine and Kira and Dax are looking for the runabout, the Rio Grande or whichever one that they're missing, they get the Romulans see it going by and they find it, which is fine. Oh, and then it gets into weird, like, okay, in the 90s, and even it's if it's, it's a sci-fi trope of the wise Native American, which is fine. Actually, I love that in the Star Trek universe, Native Americans have had a resurgence because Dax talks about, I learned this rope trick when I was on Earth from a Hopi Indian. Yes. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. But you know what? That doesn't mean shit about how to, to stop a, a vessel at warp speed to throw a tractor beam on it is not the same thing at all in any case of roping a steer. That's the stupidest <laughs> bullshit. Like, oh, Dax is like, oh, I learned I learned this from a Hopi Indian when I was, like, rustling cattle. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Traveling at warp speed, not even velocities, because you can't, it's not, well, I mean, that's kind of a, this is why it's Angry Nerd Corner, and Star Trek doesn't understand this in the 90s anyways, but well, you, at the most, you could throw a warp bubble around something. Exactly, yeah. But you're not traveling at a velocity. You're moving space around you. You have a warp bubble. Mm-hmm. So you could est- extend your warp bubble to the ex- next warp bubble, I guess, and then pull it in. That would be how you'd have to explain it. Mm-hmm. But the writers don't know shit about that. Yeah, I was going to say, well, it was... Throwing a lasso around and doing that is not... And then they throw it at warp, but that's... I'm sorry, Angry Nerd Corner, you can't lasso a thing at warp speed. <laughs> that's crazy. That is dumb. You could fix that in one line yes. just by saying, uh, put in the disable codes that they have for all the runabouts. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I can turn oh, yeah. on my car from my house with a remote start. You can't stop a runabout remotely. I mean, there's some easy techno battles. Yeah, that's to yeah, shut yeah. right. Down so you can move along to the next scene. Yeah. No, they wanted to throw it in so that they could have like a kinky Dax say, oh, he did crazy things with ropes. Yeah. He liked to tie me up. You're right. You're right about that. And that did have that scene, which was kind of stupid. But they did have the my favorite, like, I think a legitimately kind of cool and badass Dax line, which was, you know, where Kira asked her, do you have a better idea? And she goes, I'm a science officer. It's my job to have a better idea. Yeah, that was good. Oh, yeah. That was the first, like, hey, like, that's some self-actualization and some career-mindedness. Right. And it does go back 
they're extending, they're doing the Western metaphor again. Yeah. Like, okay, he learned this from a native, uh, and this episode is all about frontier. This is a note I meant to bring up at the beginning. Like, they haven't gone through the wormhole. No. They're still in the Alpha Quadrant. Oh, really? I didn't even put that together. Yeah. Because they're looking. For- yeah, they're not in the Delta Quadrant. That would have been. Yeah, yeah. Because they would have had to have been let through. No, well, Delta's Voyager, the Alpha Quadrant is where. Yeah. They're in the Alpha Quadrant because they're in frontier space where Deep Space Nine is. And because of the wormhole, there's all this interest in colonization, so they're looking for suitable planets on the frontier, because we forget, because of the wormhole, the frontier is the Gamma Quadrant, but they're at the edge of the Alpha Quadrant. I don't know what quadrant they get to. They were looking for outposts for colonization because people want to open up, I'm going to essentially assume, like, port city-type colonies, this side of the wormhole. Right, and the the oatmeal-faced people need a place to live, and people from the Gamma Quadrant, and then also all the trade and everything. Yeah, so I think I agree. I mean, I think that, yeah, that was a a pretty dumb section. (laughs) Yeah, that was technical, you know, Star Trek nerd, angry nerd corner stuff. It was making something complicated that didn't need to and wasting time on something that could have easily been explained, like what Hugh said. (laughs) And and that time could have been put towards the number of scenes they needed that the episode didn't have. So It's like resource allocation for moving the story along. I mean, you could have that those resources could have been used somewhere else to make a more powerful story. Exactly. And so this is bring us up to speed with the end. Dax and Kira save Cisco, and then the bad lady and her son, who knew all about the shenanigans she was up to, end up getting beamed up. Yeah, with, because they had to go to jail. Right, space jail. Yeah, they got to go to space jail because they're responsible for the deaths of several people. The jurisdiction rules there are kind of sticky for me. Like I guess since they're human and. They used Federation stuff to get there that they're still under Federation law. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a Federation lawyer. Yeah. I wish we had a Federation lawyer we could just, like, <laughs> call as an expert. Right. Federation well, law. and there was, she's responsible for a large number of preventable deaths. Right. Because of her Christian scientist upbringing. But wait a minute, though. Is that against the law? You can't arrest Christian scientists. I think so. I mean, you can in some places. Well, it is if you are, if you're purposefully leaving the other people ignorant, the people that would have wanted to save her. But yeah, they're like, oh. Well, they just said that they're going to have to answer for it. So we don't know what that answer is. Yeah. You bring it up a good... I'm sure her defense lawyer is going to say that. The same thing, James. Right, right. <laughs> I'm sure her space... I'm basically... I'm trying to get hired. I'm trying to get hired on as her space <laughs> lawyer. Yeah, you're trying to... Yeah. So I think... And then, you know, the show's wrapped up. Everybody's saved and that's it. And we just learned... Uh, yeah. Uh, basically, yeah. she had some sort of shenanigans to do you know her Amish colony to begin with the colonists decide to stay oh and everybody stays yeah everybody yeah. stays alright so you guys want to go ahead and go with what you want to change well yeah that's what I was going to mention that and everything uh, O'Brien donkey punches Joseph <laughs> 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 and then he's like no no I know exactly it won't hurt because Joseph is like are we getting a motif here where we have to come up with a sexual euphemism for every one <laughs> no, of our episodes no but just come on it's it's a total <laughs> just keep it organic keep it organic we don't no, have to no, force I'm one I'm not in, forcing but... one that's okay. clearly a, he's like hey I know it won't hurt that's just a look over punch. there and I'm gonna knock you out by punching you in the back of the head <laughs> because he's Jason Bourne and he knows how to do it <laughs> yeah. without hurting the guy I didn't know what they were alluding to until he says I know how to do it where it doesn't hurt right because like, and I was like what the fuck oh, yeah oh. the guy knows it <laughs> If he's going to be punished, if if Alexis knows that he helped O'Brien out. Yeah, I get it. I got so it. So he has to make it look like he overpowered him. 
And the guy's like, no, I don't want. I was like, it exactly. won't hurt. Okay. And then and then he Rambo. <laughs> just the tip. Yeah. I'll just hit you. I'll hit you with just the tip. <laughs> right. Well, and it works. He goes down like a. <laughs> he goes down like a champ. He took that punch. And then he takes his uniform off. He's like, well, at least somebody took their uniform off. Because he had to go full first blood once he finds the duonetic box. That is the reason that all their electronics don't work. He shuts it off. But then um, Furiosa, uh, I mean, Anthony, yeah, Furiosa, I mean, uh, yes. yeah, the, yeah, the son, what was his thing? With the bow realizes is it, and he's trying to kill O'Brien. He shoots his uniform, and then O'Brien goes full first blood and jumps out of a tree and donkey punches him again. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Rambo donkey punch from a tree, <laughs> and the guy's out like a light. Yeah, I mean, O'Brien was in this shit. He knows exactly how to do it. That, a kid with a bow doesn't stand a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that he meticulously unstrung the bow. But anyway, yeah, that was great. And I guess used it to tie his hands, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's what he used he, it as a cup. Yeah. He's, uh, so what we would change. Yes, let's get into it. Who wants to go? Let's get into it. You go first, Hugh. Okay. I got just two small things. One thing, clearly, whenever he makes the decision to go back into the box, He's playing a different game than even Alexis can is aware of. He is deliberately making himself a martyr for, you know, his own cause. Yeah. And I just wish that that actually was reflected with the people. Nobody seemed Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that actually did anything for anyone except Cisco's self of right. sense of self-righteousness. And I thought he was playing like he's playing it to an end like he he can't help anybody if he goes along with it, but he can he's more dangerous as a martyr. And I thought if that was clear to somebody, even the woman who tried to seduce him who actually has feelings for him or if that was shown in any way, it would have made the story a little given a little bit more punch i guess mm-hmm. yeah because yeah, he was it was essentially that he was doing all of the stuff for nothing yeah because that, like, that gets into what i wanted to change okay too. well and then at the end when nobody yeah. decides to, mm-hmm. you know this whole little culture found out they were being gas wet yeah and then yeah. they just say that they, they, yes. they just yeah. decide that, that they're cool with it. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, no. I wanted some people to step forward. I wanted mm-hmm. at least like a third to step forward and say, this is bullshit. Get us to some running water. Yeah. yeah that bitch lined us. What the fuck? And it, yeah. Yeah. That's exact. That was the same. That was one of my things too. It was like, come on. Nobody wants to leave. One person's got to say, Holy shit. are you? And I don't, I, I don't know if it's, I feel weird pointing this out because they had a lot of extras didn't have speaking roles but when when they had the big revelation that Alexis has been lying to everybody they've got they've got a great multiracial cast but all the white people are like mm-hmm. oh got like sheep looks on their face all the people of color like the you know black actors and you know Asians they're like uh uh-uh, uh, mm-hmm. that are you right. fucking kidding? They right. they have like a look on their face, like, oh no, oh oh shit, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, and, but nobody goes. They're like somebody, some like Cassandra, especially the one that tried to seduce Cisco, should have been like, I want to see what the fashions are like on Bajor. Let me go. Yeah, and then she was, and then she said she had to let them all out because she's trying to make her fashions match right, right. what's currently trendy in a world that has nothing to do with I have her. To let out all my burlap sacks. I'll have to offer all my burnt up (laughs) Yeah, like, I think that's ultimately my biggest problem with all of this is this episode or that decision by them would make more sense. If it wasn't like, like if it, if you got to spend more, if she wasn't such a villain, if she wasn't so clearly telegraphed as a piece of shit, yeah, 
and you had gotten to spend more time watching O'Brien and Cisco navigate their culture and to see the positive effects of their culture. You got to see none of it other than community. We're great. We get along. <laughs> yeah, you know? Meg's, Meg's dead, everybody. Like, we survived. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, at no point did you get to see, like, I mean, except she kind of says it with that one kid where she's kind of like, sorry to say this, but you'd probably be in jail on Earth. Yeah. You know, she says that to the one guy and he's kind of like, yeah, I was kind of a piece of shit. He has that look on his face. But, like, other than that, everybody was just kind of like, like, I don't know. I don't see how good their life is. You're showing work, and I get that, but there's also got to be some sort of joy. And I like, maybe they have, like, really great, like, campfire sing-alongs, or everybody, you know, is such emotionally helpful towards everybody else. And, like, all of those, those sort of things... You never got to see them actually gel as a community. And that's actually what I would have liked, because I think they've written a very real philosophy that would be a counter narrative to the federations the future is awesome Mm -hmm. and i think that's a very real thing in humans once you have a bit of like of technological advancement or innovation you immediately want to go back you know in my day you know let's go you know everybody wants to step back because they don't like that the world changed so quick yeah and i think that that's a real philosophy and it wasn't just a throwaway episode just to so sort of prop up a villain i think this could have been a running theme what if they were closer to Deep Space Nine and more tied up into these sort of things? Or what if they were Bajorans that were a part of the Bajoran problem? Or what if they weren't even part of anything? What if they existed, but it, it helped shape Cisco's worldview on how to deal with the Bajorans themselves? Exactly, exactly. Yes. Yeah, you know, what if this going forward changes how his policy making or his outlook? But yeah, if there was, mm-hmm. this is my main gripe against this this particular episode. It's a fine standalone episode. It's fine, but it doesn't move. I thought it was a really good episode, but yeah, I agree with all these points. It doesn't move the mm-hmm. ball down the field at all as far as DS9 is concerned. Yeah. Oh, how you could actually wrote what we're just talking about is make it O'Brien, Cisco, and a Gomer, you know, Commander Barkley or something like that. And you <laughs> we, make we, the Lieutenant Gom- Primens has one other episode. Yeah, this is how the original Star Trek would have made it. Then the Gomer falls in love with a girl. Oh, he stays behind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he falls in love with a girl and he gets to sort of understand their community and they speak to something empty in him. And then at the end, they got to say goodbye to Gomer. And that is, then you, you get to sort of explain what makes that what. Yeah, that's totally what. Because as of right now, it's like, I, like it seems like they all just go up to the Rio Grande and goes, those crazy motherfuckers, yeah. I'm glad we're done with We've this. We've seen that. That was Space Seed. Yeah. That was, well, that's it's what also they did. In, Space Seed. They it's also yeah, in Space Seed. Corbinite Maneuver does the same thing. Yes, you're right. With the, the guy stays behind with the puppet and uh, right. Ron Howard's brother. That's right. But mm-hmm. you know what? You don't really have Gomers in the next generation on, which is that's interesting. Flaw. Well, uh, They have a whole episode bark. called Lower Decks, which might as well have been called Gomers. And next generation. <laughs> yes. Right, right. And then Wesley Crusher kind of gomers out and goes to join the Maquis or whatever. Yeah, he gets bigger. But wasn't Barclay? Wasn't that yeah. his name? The other yeah. engineer? Yeah, but he's, he, he always stays on the Enterprise, though. He doesn't have, they don't have gomers that they leave with people. Yeah, well, eventually, he's he's very instrumental in Star Trek Voyager getting them back home. Barclay. Exactly. As I say, Gomer, I mean, Barclay yeah. is, you know, I, he's a, I actually, yeah, that's true. Barclay's. A, Dwight Schultz is the yeah, name of the actor Barclay. who plays him. Uh, do you guys want me to get into the, the stars and the Votes. Oh well, well we got in there. That's everything. Those things that you would change is pretty much in line with mine, I believe. Did you have anything else, James? Mm-hmm. Other than it's very similar to the Village, which is an M Night Shyamalan <laughs> movie. I hate. Oh, it. I didn't even see that one. But other than that, no. yeah, I mean, I agree. Like they should have, they could have done more. Like with, I get that Mike 
Michael Piller wanted to do with the cult thing, but then the writer got it confused with like actual ideas about the Federation that would have been interesting, <laughs> yes. interesting to deal, deal with. And also, the last shot of this thing is so heavy-handed. Except I don't know what it's supposed to be trying to say. What is it? I don't even remember. Because, one, yeah, every, everybody stays, which is dumb, which is the same thing that they did uh-huh. at the beginning of season two when Cisco gives a thing like to all the Federation officers. We're staying behind on the station. If any of you want to go, I won't think less of you. But everybody stays. Like, eh, just make one guy say, no, I want to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. But also... The last shot of this episode, which they think is, I, I, they have to feel like was a big, meaningful shot. They have two children staring at the hot boxes. Oh, I remember this. <laughs> like, and about what that means, I guess. And it's, it feels like they want to say this is a big image about what about the children or the next generation that are going to grow I have no idea what the fuck that's about. And it's just like, it's just like. Maybe little... they were trying to look at the teletran, the transporter power. And that maybe it was like that they transported away. Uh, but it's because if you have them look up into space, that would be codifying to like they're intrigued by the technological wonders of of the Federation. And no, they're they're clearly looking at the hell box. As a, but that's where Cisco was standing when he transferred. Right, right, right. So they're they're thinking about what that means. But the hot box or, tr- or the hell, the hot box. That's what they're looking at. Yeah. And I don't. I was like, ooh. And it's meant to be a big dramatic thing about. Yeah, I don't. I don't have strong. The children are looking at this thing, and it's a boy and a girl. Yeah, it's, it's like, a little. It was a little bit much. It was like, come on, guys. I don't know what you're doing here, but I see that you think you have this grand image. Yeah. <laughs> just come on slow your roll a little bit that's all i would choose like or give us something more concrete about what that's about yeah but okay yeah yeah you got to make these things a little bit more yeah. clear it's, like, it's just a little much yeah i it, it was a yeah i don't even know the theme of this episode i wish i knew more of why these people chose to stay and i think until i know that the whole episode is just kind of a confusing mess in the end yeah because we take we have to take for granted that their community is so important and they have a great thing because they say so but mm-hmm. i haven't seen it you haven't seen because it because they say so exactly All right. Do we, yeah let's mm-hmm. get into the rating all right real quick um you guys want to guess 6.7 i'm gonna put it in set i'm gonna put it at seven seven point really any seven uh you guys gotta split the difference almost it's uh 6.8 out of 10 okay 581 people voted okay. which is a high number of votes we usually average around 506 yeah 560 yeah, 550 is the average and for this one, I really thought this was going to be higher than 6.8 myself. I thought more people, but again, I think this is missing a lot of the characters that people love, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, no Odo, no Quark, no Bashir. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it doesn't miss the characters. I mean, yeah. it doesn't, for us, it's not missing. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love the, and I love the characters. Like, it's a great Cisco episode, I thought. Yeah. I like that. I like O'Brien a lot in it. Mm-hmm. It's, he's, a badass, and I like the bit of like backstory we get with him at the beginning. You know, I just like Oprah. Yeah, you get your. It's my two favorite characters in a plot with ideas that are interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I wish that the story itself worked better. So I, I, that's what I. What What are we looking at next week, guys? Oh shit! I have no idea. All um, right, I I've got it up. It's a uh, shadow play. It's a spy episode. So huh? it looks like it's gonna. Ooh. We get back on. We get back on track with uh, Vedic Baral and all those mm-hmm. uh, Bajoran shenanigans. So oh, got that to look forward to. But oh, I I love Bajoran space pope drama. Uh, I, I was just hoping Garrick would be in it. <laughs> no, Garrick. 
Oh. Yeah, we do need a Garrick here pretty soon. We really do. Um, the Wire is yeah. the Wire's in this season, right? Yeah, that's, that's a big uh, Garrick episode. The Wire? Yeah. <laughs> I, was, uh, I don't remember that episode. Oh, I, the Wire's a big Garrick. I think that's maybe. when we get into what Garrick's about. That is. Right. Yeah, it's the 22nd, yeah. Is that the one where they gotta go after Avon Barksdale? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Garrick has gotta infiltrate a drug ring inside. Of, yeah. Garrick coming. Yeah. <laughs> Garrick Garrett coming. Garrett. <laughs> Odo coming. Okay, guys. Yeah. Oh, this episode, the next episode, Shadow Play, it's written by Robert Hewitt Wolf, who's one of our oh, yeah. favorites so far. All right. Oh, the, the one, one last tidbit. One last tidbit. The writer of this episode got offered a job to join the staff because of the power of the script. And he turned it down, but he took it later. He took, took the invitation in season three once Ronald Moore joined. And he became the main writing partner for I, my favorite writer, Iris Stephen Bear. So, oh, uh, okay. So he wrote, like, the, this guy wrote, some of the later big, you know, big heavy hitting episodes. Uh, okay, show, we got to so. get back on your uh, Ira Stephen Bear hate box because I found some stuff. A, I actually found a quote of him making fun of. I found a quote of him making fun of Republicans. Oh, that's good. So, and I think I could go either way, but it generally is not that you know libertarian-y, but maybe right. Yeah, yeah, he's probably not. Like, he's probably a pretty great guy. Yeah. It, I, I, but my thing is, like, I see stuff with him hitting heads with Peter Allen Fields, and I'm like, oh, okay. But yeah, yeah. yeah so Ira, give us a call. Yeah, I see. I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, give us a call, Ira. Set the record straight. Otherwise, you suck. <laughs> you're a loser, and, and you're sad. Sad. No. Okay. <laughs> sad. All right. Well, three to beam out. Boop. All right, and that was Paradise from. Uh, 2016. Wow, a lot has happened since October of 2016. I'd like to note right off the bat that we are still very much a pro-vaccine podcast. So if you have not gotten uh, vaccinated against COVID-19 or any other vaccines that are good, I mean, get the flu shot. Why not? Uh, You don't want to get the flu. Anyway, we... uh, want to encourage you all to get vaccinated so you don't get sick and die and you don't uh, spread sickness to other people. It's just, it's just good. Still a pro vaccine podcast. Um, Wade made a couple references to Ted Kaczynski in this episode and it occurred to me that some of our listening audience might be too young to get that reference. I don't know if that really would have registered to any of us in 2016 when we were in our mid-30s, but I guess now that we're in our early 40s, I, for one, am a little bit more sensitive to the fact that um, people might not uh, get all of our references. So anyway, I thought I'd fill you in that Ted Kaczynski was um, a mathematics professor who lived uh, off the grid in, I believe it was Montana, and from the late 70s, Till he was caught in 1996, he would send uh, mess- messages to newspaper outlets and like demanding that his manifesto, his anti-technology manifesto, be printed, or else he'll bomb people. So what he would do is he would send bombs in the mail and kill people. Anyway, he was caught, like I said, in 1994. Let's see, 1996? Yeah, arrested in 1996. Um, and was eventually uh, got sentenced to eight consecutive life 
terms in prison without the possibility of parole. So yeah, Ted Kaczynski, anti-technology uh, person and crazy. I mean, obviously sent bombs in the mail. Anyway, so that's that's who we're referencing uh, in this episode. Also kind of interesting that I mentioned, or one of us mentioned in this episode, uh, the Next Generation episode, Lower Decks, and we, I, I think I mentioned it like it's a obscure episode. <laughs> when it's kind of funny to hear that now because uh, it's a very popular, or at least I guess it's popular? I don't know. Popular with Star Trek people. A popular episode of Next Generation, I guess it's got to be the most popular episode of Next Generation because the whole premise of it spun into uh, a series, and I don't think that's happened before. So, anyway, yeah, mentioned Lower Decks offhandedly in this episode, and now, all these years later, five years later, it's uh, in its second season, a very successful show, I guess. People, people like it, people watch it, I don't know. I have no interest in cartoon Star Trek or new Star Trek. <laughs> so, all right, take that for whatever it's worth, Star Trek fans who are listening now to me. Sorry about that. Um, well, that's all I've got for this week. I hope that if you're interested in other stuff like Foundation and Dune, you check out our Patreon. We, uh, we've got some conversations uh, on there that you can enjoy. You can find us at www. I don't know. Just Google Patreon. It's Patreon backslash Kickers of Elves. That's where you can find us. Patreon backslash Kickers of Elves. Too many W's in that, I think. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, thanks again for listening. I hope you join us next time for another Rules of Acquisition remix. One to be out. It is possible that I have been married before, once, before an impending OS update. I downloaded some software in Tagalog, it was so sweet and innocent but it just wanted to root into my server location to maintain a localized IP. I said whatevs and went about my updates. The only problem is, things are getting serious with the Mars rover. She is starting to ask questions. Has anyone listening ever killed any Thai programming code? It needs to look like an accident. <laughs>